You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 779 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday evening into Monday morning, and I am joined today for yet another, uh, what will be a two-part extravaganza, covering the combo guards in the NBA draft. And uh, joining me as always, or always for this series, as always, Zach Hood is here. Hello, sir. How are you doing, Brad? Thanks uh, for having me on again. Absolutely. And if everybody, if anybody's new to this, uh, Zach and I have done now two full position groups, uh, first the forwards, then a two-part episode on the big men. So if you missed any of that, go back and listen to it, download, subscribe, tell your friends, etc. Today, we're going to start a two-parter for the combo guards in this class. Um, basically, the, re- the rest of the guys that we'll talk about are lumped into three groups, uh, one being point guards, one being combo guards, and then we'll have a wings episode. And today is part one of two on the combo guards. So just to get ahead of this right now, we're going to save four guys for part two. Uh, they are Anthony Edwards, who is a pretty much a no-brainer to be saved. Then you have Tyrese Maxey, Tyrese Halliburton, and RJ Hampton. That's the foursome we, that we're going to save. Those are the guys that I think are absolute, you know, no doubt top 25 picks in this class obviously that's even being conservative those guys are going to be are going to be first round picks um they are the only guys in this class for me anyway that i think in terms of just being a hundred percent sure that they're going to go in the first round those guys are i think you'll probably have another one or two maybe even three of the guys we'll talk about today go in the first round but ultimately they're only four full-blown lock top 20 picks and they are going to be saved for part two so Part one, though, still has a bunch of ground to cover. We have about a dozen guys to hit on today. Uh, Before we dive into the players themselves, though, Zach, uh, I've asked you this for for the other podcasts so far. What is your broad read on the combo guards? When we were talking about this earlier offline, you and I, I, it kind of just occurred to me there are a, a lot of uh, combo guard types that I think are very, very draftable players. Um, in, in short, like there are several of these guys that I would have somewhere between like 25 and 45 on, on my board. And while that's not exactly appetizing for the Hawks without a pick in that range right now, one of them could drop to 52, for instance. And I think it's kind of a pretty interesting group, despite the fact that, uh, you know, combo guards is kind of a bad term, at least in the old old lexicon. But right now, they're kind of making a comeback, and uh, a lot of these guys can can do a lot of things well. Yeah, I mean, if Rokas is there at 52, they should definitely pick him. (laughs) You love him. I'll just lead with that, Um, because that's what... Like, I do love him. He's awesome. Um, he's in the Lithuanian League, Rokas. I'm going to try to pronounce his last name right. Yoku Baitis. It's, uh, Rokas, Yoku Baitis. He's like a combo, obviously, guard. He's kind of like almost like I would think a comparison would be like Dragic is how he plays. He's even he's left-handed too. Um, and he's just really off the radar. Um, but this, like you were saying, this, some, one of these guys is going to be a 52 because this – Part I mean, this draft is maybe not the best draft, but the later the wing or the combos later in the later uh, range, there is a lot of them. And one, one of probably two or three of these guys that we're going to talk about anywhere from 30 to 45, like I would say at least two multiple guys will end up being there at 52 because you got all these other positions. I don't know. Yeah, there, there's just math to it, honestly. I mean, there, there will almost every year there's a guy that I have in my top 40 that either doesn't get drafted or drops all the way to you know the mid 50s. That's just kind of the way this works. I mean, other guys that you don't love will get taken, and that's just the reality. And you know, again, for instance, just to pick a name out of a hat here, someone like Jared Butler, um, if he stays in the draft, he might go back to Baylor. He's a pretty interesting guy. But I would have him in my top 40. Would it surprise me if he dropped to 52 or even out of the draft? No, it wouldn't. So there's lots of guys that are intriguing along the way here. Uh, We'll dive into some players now. Um, Honestly, I think that at the very end of the show, we'll have a couple guys that are in a different tier. Those guys being like Leandro Leandro Bomaro and uh, Teo Maladon, maybe even Jemias Ramsey. Those guys are going to probably be top 35 picks um, pretty safely, maybe top 40 picks. Um, The rest of these guys, though, are all... Somewhat bunched together, even if I have my personal preferences. Um, 
I'm just going to name some guys for us to dive into real quickly here, almost in a group, and we'll talk about them. Uh, you have Miles Powell, who was a, a big-time college player but might have some trouble transitioning. You have Ashton Hagens from a major program in Kentucky, um, has one fatal flaw potentially, but still a very interesting player. Uh, Sam Merrill from Utah State, I love uh, unconditionally, but he's very, very old, which is a problem in some circles. Um, Jalen Harris from Nevada is someone I actually wrote about for Peachtree Hoops. That's a pretty interesting combo guard kind of player. You mentioned Rokas. I would also add Joel Ayayi from Gonzaga as another really interesting guy. If he were to stay in the draft, he might go back. And also, Ayo Desunmu, another guy who could go back to Illinois, but was like an all-Big Ten player at a major, again, major conference guys. There's lots of pretty famous college players on this list. They're all between like 6'3 and 6'5. They all do a lot of things well. They're not perfectly point guard sized, um, or I guess point guard roles, but they are also a little bit smaller than your traditional wings are, so they're, they're kind of put together here. Is there anybody on that list that I just read off that you really like? They're all pretty different for being kind of the same size. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mentioned Rokas. I, I don't know, dude. I think Rokas might be a first-round pick in this draft because he did say in April that he's leaning out and coming. I mean, he's he's kind of he's in the draft right now because obviously he could go back and play Lithuanian league even if he does get drafted. But um, other than that, because I'm like, um. I don't know. I, I like Merrill as well. I mean, I think maybe you're thinking with him, he's a smaller Duncan Robinson. Obviously, he's not going to be able to do everything Duncan does defensively with um, guarding bigger guys. But he, he's somebody that if in the right system, I mean, if he's getting open shots, I mean, he's going to make them. So. Yeah, Merrill, Merrill is someone who, again, out of Utah State, um, certainly a – profile as a shooting specialist type like some of the most ridiculous shooting numbers that you'll ever see coming out of college played a ton was a really really good college player um the concern with him would be defensively and athletic uh, you know being an athlete he's not small actually he's just not um super athletic he's a legit six four six five, but he probably has to play the two and you know physically I'm not sure how he holds up, but the offensive stuff I don't worry about at all. A bad fit in Atlanta because I don't think how I don't I don't think he could ever play with Trey Young really defensively. But um, someone that should be in the mix for me anyway, uh, late in the second round, or or if not, maybe on a two way contract. Um, let's talk about I think um the last two guys I mentioned, Joel Ai and Ayo Desunmu. I'm almost leaning toward those guys coming back. Um, that's not anything sourced, but there's been some buzz that those guys could go back to college and they'll both be uh, very, very good college players. And Ayayi, um, Gonzaga will be number one in the country if they get everybody back. So that's a potential um, concern there. Um, I, I do like um, Ayayi quite a bit. Um, as someone actually that might work for the Hawks, he's legit, you know, 6'4", 185 pounds or so. Um, someone who really has long arms as well. Good defensive prospect. Not super physical, but long and understands how to play. Offensively, it's kind of a mixed bag. But at the same time, I really like him in the second round. And then um, Desumbu I've liked less, but I think if you get him into a less primary role than he was in, in El at, at Illinois, he could be one of those like maybe a, a flash offensive player off the bench that also could and I think will defend at a pretty high level when he's deployed on smaller usage. He's, he's a really good athlete. He was one of the bigger recruits that's gone to Illinois in uh, in recent years, and you know, legit six four, pretty good athlete, and someone who could be interesting in the second round. Um, I don't know. What do you think about Ashton Hagens? Because Hagens is probably the most famous guy because well, other than Miles Powell, because Hagens played at Kentucky, which is that, you know, probably, you know, number one or number one, a in terms of prominent college programs. The problem with Hagens is that, he, is that he can't shoot, but pretty much anything else that you would want, you would like from Hagens, especially his defense uh, and a potential partnership with Atlanta. So do you think he can figure out the shooting? Cause if not, I'm not sure it works, but if it does, then he'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, I think in a couple of years, you know, he might could be like a passable shooter. And, you know, I don't know if he'll ever be like Patrick Beverly defensively, but that's kind of like, you know, Beverly's not a true point guard either. He might line up at point guard, but you're going to have someone else running your offense like a Paul George or, you know, whatever. You're going to bring – you're going to do something besides have Beverly initiate. So I think maybe that kind of path is is – the path for Higgins to be a rotation guy, especially right away. Cause I don't, he's going to be bad on offense. I think like there's just, especially, you know, the first year. So, um, but I think there's definitely potential for him to shoot well enough to be like, you know, a seventh or eighth guy. 
Yeah, I think um, just for some stats on Hagen's, he was a career 26.5% three-point shooter. And uh, while that's bad in itself, he also basically didn't shoot them. He only shot 1.7 of them per game um, across two seasons. So a low-volume, low low-accuracy shooter. On the bright side for Higgins, he did improve quite a bit as a passer. Uh, his assist rate went way up in his second season at Kentucky. And then uh, defensively, we both we, we both just mentioned that, but he was actually the defensive player of the year in the SEC last year. Uh, I guess two years ago as a freshman. Um, he is fun. It's just that I'm not sure. You got to be really, really good defensively. Like you got to be Chris Dunn defensively to make this profile work at the NBA level. And Chris Dunn is awesome defensively. And um, if you become that, then it works. But Dunn had a lot more chances as a top five pick. Hagens is going to have to come in and just be a terror defensively. I do like the passing in a way that I wasn't sure I was going to a year ago. Like he made really, really considerable and impressive strides as a passer, but uh, there is a cap to what a 6'3 guard can do um, if he can't shoot at all, and Higgins is nearing that threshold where it's like almost untenable, so I, I'm rooting for him. I think he'd be perfectly fine in the second round, and the Hawks are actually a team where Higgins, I think, almost makes more sense because they have guys in the perimeter that he could play with that makes sense. Like, he could play next to Trey, he could play next to Kevin Herter, potentially, and you have enough shooting on the court, but uh yeah, he'd be interesting. I think people are polarized on him a little bit. Um, I've seen him, you know, in the 30s for some people. I've also seen him out, you know, sort of undrafted for some people. That's kind of the the way on a lot of these guys. But Higgins, being a big name that he is, and being kind of a player that has that one super defined weakness, is a tough evaluation because he does a lot of other things well. Yeah, Beverly. Actually, I just looked at Beverly. He's been 38 percent ever since he got to the league, so that's not. Well, it, not, he he, he made his uh, he made his jump when he was in between college and getting to the NBA. He he had this really uh, crazy path that ended up in right. Europe. Play. He had, he made a long path. He was not a shooter coming out of college, but he figured it out between then when he arrived late in the NBA. But yeah, I mean that's your path, and obviously you can't you can't project anybody to do what he did as a shooter. Like Beverly's not an elite shooter, but he's a legitimately good shooter. I think uh, I don't want to throw that. I don't want to throw around the Dunn comparison too easily because Dunn really is an awesome defensive player. But that's kind of the mold that I'm looking at for Higgins. Maybe a little bit worse uh, defensively because you just can't project anybody to be that good defensively. But he does have some on-ball stuff. It's just whether he can figure out some weapon to deliver um, as a shooter. But he did manage to maintain, you know, somewhat reasonable efficiency at the college level um, without that jump shot, but it's a lot harder when you can't shoot in the NBA and teams know you can't shoot and they can game plan for that. Um, The last guy in this group that I want to make sure we talk about real quick is Miles Powell, who was, again, like a ridiculously good, like all-American level college player. Um, Quietly, I think Powell actually took a step back this year. Uh, His efficiency went way down. And part of that, I'm sure, was just the, you know, kind of a small sample size. He didn't play as much in terms of minutes. He had some some stuff where I think he had an injury. But still really effective, really um, productive as a score. Four-year player, though. At, um, at Seton Hall, and he's pretty old, but still a guy who was an All-American, Big East Player of the Year, et cetera, et cetera. He just happens to be a 6'2 guard that probably isn't a point guard. He, you know, His assist rate was pretty low. Granted, he was the Sun, Moon, and the Stars for Seton Hall, but that archetype does not usually appeal to me as guys who are undersized and really are scoring guard combos. That's not my favorite archetype, but Powell is still someone who has some appeal because of the way he can score. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think Powell could make it, but it's definitely going to be, like, like his archetype, like you were saying, it definitely limits him, just inherent. I mean, he's 6'2", and you don't want him guarding, like, Trey Young. You know I mean? Like, he's he's going to be, like, a, a third guard, fourth guard, just come in and, and get some shots up. But uh, I don't know. It's not my favorite archetype either. I would rather get, like, one of the long guys and hope they figure out how to shoot it personally. Yeah. Um, I, you know, he's not as famous as miles Powell, but like I would rather have Jalen Harris for instance. And Jalen Harris is similarly old, but someone who's a little bit bigger. And I think, um, his game translates a little bit better off, um, defensively. I think he'll be okay defensively. He, he's not gonna be great, but I think he's just a physical profile. I like a little bit more out of Nevada. And then, you know, on the ball, he really scored effectively. There's some playmaking in there as well. 
And I think uh, because of where he played in the Mountain West, there's not the level of attention on Jalen Harris. But I think, you know, if you're asking me how to make my big board, I would have Harris ahead of guys like Powell. Um, he would be in that same range. In fact, I think I probably like Powell the least of everyone we talked about so far, with apologies to Miles, who was the best college player on this list. Um, I think it's kind of what you want. These guys are all pretty close together. Other than that, um, it's kind of what you want. You know, for instance, I, AI is like more of like the plug and play, um, you know, supporting definitely a role player, but maybe a third, fourth guard that does a, kind of a three and D archetype. Merrill is the shooting specialist. Higgins is the defensive specialist. Um, you like Rokas. I know quite a bit. Um, I will cop to not have, not have seen him a ton. I've watched him a little bit more because you told me to, and I have been, um, but, the, I'm definitely more familiar, familiar with the college guys, but they're just very different players, despite, again, being the same size. Um, aside from Rokas, do you have a favorite of these guys? Uh, probably Merrill. Just to really, I would just really, like, if I had the opportunity to pick one of these guys up late, I think that I would just buy his his shot-making ability as something I could I could do something with. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Of any one skill out of this group, it's, you know, my favorite's probably Merrill shooting. Um, closest behind that would probably be Hagen's defense. But, yeah, I you know, if you want to just – I think Sam Merrill can be an NBA player. I know the archetype of him being so old and from a small conference – is a little bit worrisome, but if you, you know, some of the translations kind of like him to figure it out offensively, and I think there's a path to him being not terrible defensively because he is a legit 6'5". Is he going to be good? No, but if you're that kind of shooter, and if he actually is that kind of shooter in the way that his numbers suggest and the way the eye test actually suggests as well, if he really is an elite, elite shooter, um, the game, the way that it is today, can, al- can allow you to stick in the league if you can really shoot like that, and I think he actually can. So... I think I would draft all of these guys, except for probably Powell. I probably would not draft Powell, honestly. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me, nor would, nor would I criticize it if a team took him in like from 45 on. That'd be totally fine with me. I could see how it might work if you put him in a perfect spot because he can score, and that does matter. Um, but the rest of these guys, somewhere between you know 40 and 55, sign me up, depending on where they actually end up landing. Um any final thoughts on that group before we move on to the uh, the second half of oh, this podcast? I would just like just on Rokas, just for people that don't know, like ESPN. I don't think he's not even has him ranked, and I think Athletic like Vicini might have him like ninety eighth or something. He might have changed it uh, since the last time I looked, but anyway, he, he was ninety eighth at one point on unranked on ESPN. But he's like nineteen, and he's like just a really really crafty left handed guard. He can shoot. He's like a great passer. Can play half court transition. Look I think him he's up like, on what, YouTube. Six, six, four-ish? Six, five, yeah, maybe? he's like he's like he almost is like identical to Drogic. Like if you could picture Drogic being nineteen in a foreign league, like just kind of tearing people up, and like that's kind of like what it looks like. But just just type him in on YouTube. Uh, R O K A S, Yokubaitis, and <laughs> um, you know J J O K, Ubaitis. You know I'm not gonna spell it out, but um. He's just a guy that hasn't really, I don't know, especially since all the COVID, like he hasn't been able to work out for anyone. So like you haven't heard, like if he went to one workout and some scout was like, yeah, that's a top 40 player, then all of a sudden he's going to go in the top 40 on the main big boards. So that really hasn't had the ability to happen. So I just think he's someone that could be like picked up for basically, you know, the, the minimum, the lowest risk, uh, possible and he could really pan out yeah i mean the, the little that i've seen that uh i've been able to find it's been interesting to be sure and uh you know i can't go all the way in in terms of advocating but i, I do think that what i've seen is interesting and uh maybe not maybe not hawks specifically but certainly someone that um could be interesting no to it's just target. it's just when you compare him on a skill level last thing on yeah. Lucas, i promise but when you compare him to just like anyone else in this range on like a skill level, like obviously Merrill has a great like shot, but in terms of just like, like what Rokas would do in the NCAA, like I think it would be pretty incredible. Like, <laughs> like I don't see. And he, he actually is that age too. Like as, I think he's 19. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's 19. So that would be, you know, 
that's the argument on on his favor as well as someone who may be more off the radar but is you know as that is pretty pretty young in this class and uh pretty interesting so there's a guy uh we i've been i think for the last several episodes in a row we've we've delivered someone that was sort of off the radar and there you go on this podcast it's going to be Rokas. so um if he works out i'm gonna uh have to give you all the credit for this so congratulations I don't know. We'll see. Hope let's go a lot of pressure on you now, Rokos. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll leave it there for now. We we could come back if I think of anything else to say on these guys. But again, I, actually, a group that I kind of like when compared to their projected draft slot and uh, the rest of this draft in general. I think there is some value to be had with this group if you have the right system to put around them and that can maximize the talent that is uh, available in those guys. Okay, we'll come back in a minute with more on the combo guards. Before we get to that, though, a word from today's sponsor, and that is rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the car and truck parts that you need in a traditional storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait forever while the counterperson orders their parts on the computer, only choosing the brands that his or her warehouse happens to carry? Instead, you have access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket, and it's a much better option, whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver. RockAuto.com has everything you need. Just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Chain stores have different price tiers for pro mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but at RockAuto.com, prices are always the same for everybody, and they're always the lowest prices possible. The RockAuto.com catalog is also very easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. RockAuto.com is for everyone and does not require membership or an account login. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers. So why would you spend twice as much for the same exact parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available available for your car or truck. From there, you want to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you there. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, Zach, let's keep it going, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a list of names that we're going to talk about the rest of the way, and we'll sort of pick and choose and dive in and out of these players. Um, again, the, posi- the positional distinctions are a little bit funny on some of these guys, so if you have not heard a name, chances are they're going to be on the wings or the point guards, depending on where we get to. But um, the rest of the podcast will be will be uh, sort of designated for Tyshawn Alexander, Skylar Mays, Emmanuel Quickly, Jemias Ramsey, Teo Maladon and Leandro Bolmaro. Again, we're going to save uh, sort of the unquestionable, uh, at least consensus, top four for the second episode and sort of the part two on this podcast. So we'll start things off. I want to open with Tyshawn with Alexander, who is kind of an off-the-radar guy, except for if you follow the draft closely. I think draft Twitter has been on him for quite, for quite a while. But uh, 6'4", about 200 pounds out of Creighton, um, a guy who could go back to, could go back to school still. But... Um, Definitely a really interesting shooter and 3 and D kind of projected guy. Um, for me, a really fun defensive watch, um, especially on the ball. I think I was really impressed with the way he defended. And if you combine that with his shooting, he kind of projects as a pretty natural 3 and D archetype role player. And I think he can get stronger as well. Lots of little things that he does pretty well, but as like a top, 40 to 45 guy for me um, one of my favorites really appeals to things that I like in that he would fit almost anywhere and the, and the defense as people I'm, I'm sure are shocked I like a player that has uh, good defensive b- benchmarks and uh, Alexander definitely brings that you could definitely see him rotating in as I mean Atlanta needs more guards I mean Herder and Goodwin and Trey everyone did a good that's coming back did a good job last year but they just there were a couple of those games, you know, where there was a back-to-back or where there was where they'd had, a, you know, six games in 11 days or whatever where they would come in and just get their doors blown off because they didn't have, you know, for whatever reason, Trey didn't have the energy to score 20 in the first half that night or, you know, especially during the Collins suspension. Um, they need someone like Alexander who can play on both ends of the floor and just, you know, kind of blend in and, you know, I, I don't watch near as much college basketball as you, but, I, you know, I've seen Creighton a good bit over the past couple of years just throughout the tournament and um I I just he's a really competitive player I mean even outside of just the scouting stuff and like going back to I mean he went to Oak Hill right like he's a pretty decent prospect to end up at Creighton so like he's not like I wouldn't I don't think of him as like a mid-major prospect like if that makes sense 
No, he's definitely not. I mean, he's someone who, yes, went to Creighton, but uh, like you mentioned, played at Oak Hill and was, you know, I think like a four-star college college yeah, prospect. Yeah, so um, he's top 100. Yeah, and I mean, Creighton's the real program, too. Like, Creighton has been good for a long time. Uh, they're, you know, they're now in the Big East, so it's not like they're um, the way that it used to be. But Creighton is a, a real a real program and certainly a, a team that uh, utilized him pretty well as well. But the numbers were solid. The efficiency was good. Defensively, a lot to like. Steel rate was pretty good. Um, I just like Alexander. I'm not saying he's, like, the best guy on this list by any means, but certainly someone who, if the Hawks had a chance at him, he would make a ton of sense. I don't think he's going to fall as far as the Hawks pick, um, but if they wanted to get aggressive and move up maybe a little bit into the 40s, uh, someone who, not the only guy on this list that I would like for Atlanta, but someone who checks a lot of boxes that would fit in Atlanta as someone, especially who can defend his position uh, effectively. Um, Moving on from Alexander, I mentioned Jared Butler earlier. We'll, we'll talk about him now for a second uh, out of Baylor. Uh, again, a guy who could go back. A lot of people think he, that he might go back to Baylor. Um, I wouldn't blame him for that. But someone who is often discussed in like the top 40, 45 picks, 6'3 or so, uh, more, played a lot of lead guard stuff, but also worked off the ball a little bit. Um, certainly in that combo guard mold, maybe closer to point guard than some of these other guys because he's a really good ball handler. That's my favorite, that's my favorite thing about Jared Butler is this ball handling is – Pretty real, and then defensively, his point of attack stuff is pretty good. Not someone who's going to like terrorize you defensively, but I think is pretty good on that end, and all things considered. And that archetype, I think, works pretty well for a backup guard, especially. Um, not a guy who I'm in love with in the first round, but if you get to again the 30s, 40s, he'd be a more than reasonable pick if he were to stay in the draft. Yeah, I mean, he's another top 100 guy to high school. He's a pretty big time. Like that was like a big deal for Baylor to get uh, get him. So, I mean, I think, you know, I think he'll probably stay in the draft, but with the lack of workouts and all that, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the thing about these guys staying is, is I guess there's a pretty good chance there's a basketball season, but. That is the me, uh, like, elephant in the room. <laughs> to me, to me, it's like, I don't want to stay and then there's not a season and I could have been getting paid. Like, I don't know. I, I, I do think that's a consideration, especially but not, for... not everyone can get drafted, but still, like, a lot of people could just... Yeah, the, the some of the stuff is pretty weird this year because, for instance, the Gonzaga guys... Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, for instance, like, the, the Gonzaga guys are... If they go back in a regular non-pandemic world, there is a lot of value in like being the projected preseason number one team in the country. And if they all went back and none of those guys are projected first round picks, there's value in that normally. But if there's no season, that value obviously goes down. Butler is a little bit different in that, you know, Baylor would be really good if he came back, but not that same kind of appeal. Baylor isn't that kind of, um, you know, projected team and I think Butler's position in the draft is relatively safe he'll be drafted I'm pretty confident if he stays in um you get into the guys who are a little bit later in the process that aren't as um aren't as solid that might have really appealing college prospects then I sort of get it but I'm with you I think more than ever I would if it's me I'd be leaning to go pro in some way because of the uncertainty with college basketball but my general my general approach is not to tell kids what to do like i'll have an opinion but you know it's one of those things where players or people value different things um like luca garza gave a really good interview with cbs sports where uh, garza is this like consensus all-american college player that probably won't be drafted if he comes to the nba and um you know you, on one hand you could argue that i'm sure he can he can make some money playing basketball next year somewhere probably not probably not in the nba but somewhere he could probably make six figures next year but there's also an argument for going back particularly if you enjoy college and if you want to play at a high level. So everybody has their own decision-making process. I just, uh, yeah, it's just interesting to me because that is a wrinkle that is discussed some, but probably needs to be discussed more because of the uncertainty because college basketball is in really perilous shape. Like all, all sports are in perilous shape, but college basketball in particular being an indoor sport, um, the money isn't quite as big as it is in college football. There's lots of there's lots of reasons to think that college basketball may not happen this year, and if that's uh, a factor at all in a decision making process, then uh, it probably has to be weighed appropriately. Yeah, I mean it's going to be tough. I, I just feel like if there's not a guarantee, um, 
I don't know the date, like the withdrawal date or whatever. Aren't they letting guys stay in now, and whether and they can still go back, right? Um, uh, no, they have to, they have to come. They have to withdraw. It's um the and the date is actually earlier than it needs to be. <laughs> That's another part yeah. of this process like it's later than usual they bump they did bump it back for pandemic related reasons but um it's going to be fairly early and i'm not sure guys are going to get all the info that they need i mean i know they're allowed to talk to nba teams this whole time but uh zoom meetings are not, are not the same thing they're not, you're not getting quite as much information from zoom meetings that they're definitely valuable and uh guys do better on them than some but yeah it's it's a tough call and they're not going to have as much of the info as they probably want, especially with regard to whether there's a college basketball season, because I think the I think the date is somewhere in August early. I don't have it in front of me right now, but it's certainly not in a position where they're going to know for sure about college. I feel like they should just let him stay in, and if you don't get drafted, then you have the choice to go back. But you know, I guess I'm not going to do that. So yeah, the I NCAA mean, is not good. What do you know? Just for this, I mean, in general, I don't even think that's that bad of a strategy, but for this year especially, just everything's going on but yeah i'm with you um all right let's move on to scholar Mays. uh Mays, another pretty decent sized prospect uh 6-4 guard out of lsu stayed there for a while um does a lot of things well was really efficient um this year at lsu um not a guy who i'm like in love with but he can shoot it and I think he's big enough and physical enough to, you know, do some things at the NBA level defensively if he if he wants to get, um, you know, probably more consistent on that on the floor. He's a little bit older than you'd want. I think he's tw- yeah he's 22. He'll be 23 in September. That's one of the knocks on him. But someone who got better all four years and in his final season at LSU knocked down 39 percent of his threes. If that's real, that's the real appeal for Mays is if he can do that if the shooting because it was not that way his first three years in college it wasn't like a disaster but his shooting definitely improved as a senior that's usually a red flag in some respects but his free throw shooting um i believe is pretty good yeah it's career 85 percent. so there's some good indicators there and i think uh he can be sort of that well-rounded bench guard maybe and someone who i would consider you know in the 40s 50s yeah i agree i mean his assist rate is a little low for him i mean he's only six four so he's He's probably going to be more comfortable off the ball as a shooter, especially if he's making that many shots. But the volume is also a little concerning. I mean, he only shot four threes a game this year, even though he did shoot a good percentage. So to me, I mean, I just don't know like what – I don't know if he's going to be able to shoot that same percentage on a higher volume, and I think he's going to need the volume to be effective, if that makes sense. But he was a really – well, way um, more efficient in senior year, like you said, uh, like uh, everywhere from two, from three. Obviously, he was always a great free throw shooter, but he was up there, you know, near his career high senior year. Uh, also, a career high on attempts for free throws. So, I mean, he, he's a physical presence. He, he's someone like uh, Brunson almost, but he's not. Obviously, Brunson was a little more, you know, better as a college player and more prestigious coming out, but just kind of that bulky. Yeah, I think with Mays, it's a uh, – I wish it wasn't so old. I mean, it's not – age doesn't matter that much. But if he posted this kind of performance in his, like, his sophomore year, people would probably buy it a little bit more. Um, he got to the line a pretty good amount as well. Someone who's definitely a scorer first on offense, but efficiently, you know, did did enough efficiency-wise to make it interesting. And I think he can hold, hold up defensively. He's definitely not that creator type, though. He's definitely more of a – create opportunities for himself kind of combo guard there are definitely a few of those guys like that in this class but a draftable player for me would be the way that I would um, round that out on Mays Um, certainly not someone that I'm like following all over myself to draft but a draftable player and uh, not not a whole lot wrong with that Um, I want to transition to the other Kentucky guard Um, well I guess there's two more Uh, all three it's funny all three Kentucky guards are on this list which is kind of hilarious because they all play together this year Um, but we'll go to Emmanuel Quickly now Um, Quickly is a shooter that's the thing about Emmanuel Quickly that is going to make him an NBA player if that actually works Um, he's a great shooter came to that came to that um, realization pretty quickly if you watched him this year I think he was like 92% from the free throw line shot the heck out of the ball um, just kind of all over the place that's the one 
real easy selling point about quickly, but he is 6'3 and definitely not a point guard. So you're looking at a combo guard. He was the player of the year, I believe, in the, in the SEC this year because he shot 43% on threes. It's easy to buy that part of his game. The problem is he is a pure combo. He's really a shooting guard um, despite being very limited in size. And then um, there isn't all that much to like except for the shooting. He can do some other things. Like his passing is not a disaster, but certainly not a creator type. I think he's just going to have to be, for me anyway, like a bench shooter. And there's a lot of value in that, especially if you put him next to more of like a big lead ball handler. I would like him more in situations where you had a point guard that was, you know, or at least a lead ball handler that was had some real size to him and some defensive heft. Like he'd be great next to Ben Simmons, for instance, um, potentially. But quickly is someone, I think it's a second round pick because A, you definitely see what the value is, but B, the limitations and everything else kind of scare me a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, he's definitely one of those, like um, almost like a Carson Edwards last year, like, Obviously, Edwards was, you know, a little bit higher VAR, a lot more higher volume, and just more explosive as a scorer. But same kind of concerns as a prospect. Like, quickly was, um, you know, really high rated. He was top 30, I think, coming out. And all because, you know, he's he's got that unbelievable shot, uh, especially for his age. You know, he's always been a great shooter. Even as a freshman, he was a 35% three-point shooter. Let's just say so, uh, if you go if you go if you go to Kentucky, you're usually a pretty good a pretty good uh, prospect coming out. I think he was like a top twenty five guy, right. like you said. Some five stars yeah. in there. You know, I like him. I would definitely. Um, I don't know if he's a good fit for the Hawks, obviously, because you, know, you have Trey and Herder. I mean, he's not really a good fit with either. I mean, he is a good fit offensively with those guys, especially. Yeah. You know, Herder is not as bad because Herder could could guard the shooting guard and he could he could you know see what he could do with the point guard size wise but i don't really you couldn't really claim with trey so i don't know i like him but not really like for Atlanta. yeah i agree i think he's definitely a better fits better fit some other places uh i think he could be passable defensively in time i worry about him being anything better than that um that's you know trying to be as kind as i can be i don't think he's a disaster defensively but not someone who fits very well in atlanta for that reason um, let's go to another guy who is certainly a, uh, a pretty polarizing player, and that is Jamias Ramsey. Um, I've seen Ramsey projected as like a lottery pick for some people. Um, I've seen, I've also seen him for some draft Twitter folks down in the forties or fifties. So that kid, that's, I'm not exaggerating here. That, that's kind of range we're talking about here for Ramsey. Um, I can, I think you, if you watch him, you can kind of see what you want to see both positive and negative, which isn't a bad thing. I think he's a really talented guy. And, um, you know, early in the year, there was some real momentum behind him. It cooled off to be sure, but he is not for me, um, a first round lock. Um, I think he probably will go in the first round. I think that's actually totally fine. But um, not quite on the same level as the guys that we're going to talk about on on part two. Without getting deeper in, into my own evaluation, what do you make of Ramsey, uh, who, by the way, is I think like six four, about one ninety five, two hundred pounds, nineteen uh, year old out of Texas Tech? Yeah, I mean, I'm not in love with him. Like you said, some people are high on him, especially you know it seems it seems people were higher on him than they are now um, for whatever reason, but. I still think he's interesting. I mean, he had 1.3 steals, 0.7 blocks. Uh, you know, obviously all the scoring stuff, you know, that made him a top, you know, a high recruit, top recruit. I mean, I, I think his free throws are a little concerning. The fact that he doesn't get to the line and that he doesn't really shoot a great percentage. And if he's going to be a scorer, I mean, obviously free throws are like a huge part of your game as a scorer in the NBA. Um, just the ability to navigate within contact and draw contact and make the free throws. Like that was the biggest difference in Reddish, honestly, in the first from when he was averaging seven points shooting thirty percent to when he was averaging fourteen points shooting forty five fifty percent is that you know number one when he didn't get fouled he was under control, but since he was under more control he was able to actually seek the contact and still make you know some M ones and stuff so I think Ramsey's just really raw and he'll probably be horrible as a rookie. Um, but there's, I mean, like you said, he's talented. I, I don't, at a certain point, there's nothing wrong with it. 
Yeah, that that applies. The uh, the negative as a rookie thing applies to most guys on this list. Um, but yeah, Ramsey is younger than the majority of guys we talked about so far. The physical tools are really interesting. I think it's like a six nine, six ten wingspan. He's long. Um, he's a you know definitely someone who can who can score. I think the two biggest um, gaps in the evaluation that I have seen where people disagree are on his shooting and his defense. So shooting wise, he shot 43% from three this year, which is obviously good. Um, but he's a 64% free throw shooter. So there's some noise in there. Like there's some question about how good of a shooter he actually is. I'm inclined to trust the shooting to some degree. Um, but, um, he's a good athlete. I don't really worry about him that much in, uh, in around the rim, but not someone who's been a hugely creative scorer in terms of, um, stuff and finishes around the rim. He's okay. Um, but not great at the rim by any means. Um, but, and then the, on, on the defensive end of the floor, Texas tech is one of the situations that's really hard to evaluate because a lot of his numbers look, look okay defensively, like you mentioned, but Texas tech does a lot to insulate certain players. And I think Ramsey was probably their worst defender at times this year. Not always, but I, I didn't love the defense as much as some people did. Um, I don't worry about it too much because he is long, and I think he generally um, has the tools to be all right, but some awareness stuff I didn't love watching some tape on him. Um, it's just interesting to me like what people value because he is aggressive. like He's willing to score. I think he's going to score, and that is something that people really value. Um, and on the flip side, you know, it depends on kind of where you land on the shooting curve and where you think about him defensively because if it's the bad defense that you lean on then you sort of lose me but if you think that he's going to be a pretty good defender if you if you pair that with his offensive tools it's got to be a first round package you know I can definitively say I'm not one of the top top people on Ramsey Um, I don't think he's a lottery pick I've never thought that but at the same time I also don't think he's a guy in the fifties like I've seen before. I think he's for me like a late first, early second round player. And that's not, you know, if you took him 20th, would I be like critical of that? No, I think there are places where he would fit. Um, would I probably have him 20th on my board right now? I don't think so. But at the same time, I don't really love this archetype in general. So that keep that in mind when, when, we're, when we're talking. But there's a reason why he was considered to be a lottery talent in some ways because he is really talented. It's just whether you buy the peripheral stuff for me. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the three-point percentage is, like, it's only 27 games. So like, that's what people always, like, college percentage is, like, it just doesn't have the weight of an NBA season. So well, like, it's, it's 141 attempts. I mean, it's not, right. that's not nothing by any means, but especially when you compare it. And again, part of this free throw for the free throw stuff could also be small sample size. He, he took 78 free throws. So he doesn't get to the line very often, which is not what you want. But even beyond that, which one do you trust? And is the answer, I don't really know in terms of the shooting. Like if you think he's really a 40% three point shooter, then you're going to be higher on him than I am. If you think he's a bad shooter, like his free throw shooting would indicate, then you're probably not going to like him at all. And the truth's probably in the middle somewhere um, right. where I, I, I do not believe his three-point percentage whatsoever in terms of it being 43%. I, that I don't, I don't see based on the tape and the and everything I see. But if he's, if he's going to be a pretty good shooter, that's not a bad thing, especially when you factor in his size, athleticism, and length. Like, it's – the package is good. That's what I was talking about before about the split on his shooting because I can see why people can't agree on his shooting, honestly. Because his two point his two point stuff wasn't very good, his three point percentage is great, and his free throw percentage is bad. <laughs> so which one is it? I have no yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he might just be like a bad mid range player. Um, but I think he can shoot. You know, I don't. I think sixty four. I mean, he's he's what is he eighteen nineteen years old? I think he can shoot. You know, seventy five percent on free throws and thirty five thirty eight percent from three. I mean, that's kind of how I see him. I don't, I don't really. See, you know, I, I don't worry too much about the stats. It's just because no, it wasn't that – it's only 27 games. I mean – Right, and I, that's how I feel especially – I mean, the numbers do matter at some point, but his numbers are not bad enough for them to be like you – go, you don't cross them off. There's a lot to like in his profile, honestly. I, I think he's one of the more interesting guys, and I haven't spent a ton of time on him on this podcast because, frankly, the Hawks are not going to be in a spot to draft Jemias Ramsey. Um because of where he's going to go. Realistically, he's probably going to go somewhere between 17 and 37. <laughs> I don't really know where in there, but the Hawks will have a pick in near those ranges. And 
fit wise, he's not would not be my perfect guy in Atlanta. But in a broad NBA sense, like I can see why he's a polarizing player because his defense probably isn't as good as some people want to think it is, and his offense is the numbers just paint an interesting picture. So I like him. I think he's a talented guy. It's just that um, the combination of the archetype and some of the things that I don't think he does that well are going to push me down a little bit, but still someone that is a more than appropriate first round pick for me. Just not someone that I know for a fact is going to go in the first round. Like I do with some of these guys. Yeah. I know. Yeah. We're, we're pretty, we agree on Ramsey for the most part, I think. All right, let's finish it up with two more guys, both of which are international prospects. Uh, first one we'll talk about is Teo Maladon, uh, 6'4", 6'8", 6'9", wingspan out of Asville. Um, a guy who was once projected pretty widely as like a top 10 guy and people cooled on quite a bit this year. Still think he's probably going to go in the first round, but not an absolute lock to go in the first round. Um, a really good shooter which is uh, not what you think about, at least when, if you've been following his trajectory, that was not what used to get talked about with Maladon, but that's probably his most interesting skill right now, for me anyway, is his shooting, especially on the move and out of pull-ups. That's a real interesting thing. And then defensively, I think there are enough signs to be pretty encouraged by as someone who's pretty long and maybe maybe able to guard ones, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Not a great athlete, though, which is kind of concerning um, because at that size, if you're not a great athlete, there is a lot that can go wrong for you, but still someone that I would have in my top 25 or so, and uh, I like him a little bit more than Ramsey just in a vacuum. Yeah, I mean, he's – they're both young. I don't know. To me, like – Maladon has to like he has to do a little more on offense for me like Ramsey is not as polished probably like Maladon's probably a better more fundamental you know more mature player but Ramsey has like to me just like a little bit more um and if you're really just buying into uh, Maladon as an off the ball shooter maybe you like it that's why you like him more than Ramsey especially especially for the Hawks obviously um but like, I think, I don't know. I, I think I like Ramsey more. That's fine. I mean, again, this is that range where that's, I have no argument against that. I, I think as a it's guy, close. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, trying to I'm think not how super you, high on either one of these guys, to be honest. I mean, and that, not, and as that makes, as, not as high as some, I mean, I'd say I'm probably, you know, in the middle. Yeah. And, and I think they're, they're very different. Of these guys around 25 or so. And despite being, you know, similarly sized players, they're very different players. I mean, you mentioned the lack of aggression at times from Maldon offensively. That's definitely, I agree with you on that. I think Ramsey as a scorer is certainly more aggressive than uh, someone who I would probably project to be a better scorer right away if he was given the opportunity to do that. Um, Maladon, his feel is a little bit higher, especially with the passing. I think his passing is better. Um, his shooting is, you know, interesting to me. I, I think it's going to go in but the numbers aren't like off the charts good so i don't know i like maladon i I, both these guys are not like moving the needle for me i think they're both going to be supporting pieces i think i think there's a chance that ramsey is more than that if everything came together um but for me they're probably both going to be supporting pieces and that will depend a lot on a lot on how they're used and where they're used and they're different enough where it might just come down to where they get drafted so I like Maladon a little bit more, but it's not like I'm being definitive here. I have no problem with you liking Ramsey more. This is where I'm I'm a bad. Uh, I think example. I will say I will say I think um, I would agree, or I don't know. I'm assuming that you think Maladon's floor is higher than Ramsey's. I just think Ramsey might have a higher ceiling. Yeah, that's kind of what I think. I mean, it's not incredibly so, but I don't know. I, I'm a bad example, like I was going to say before. You know people like to have really passionate arguments about guys who they might have like four spots apart on their board. And I'm just not going to do that in this draft. I think it's pretty flat. Um, I I might have my personal preference and I will have a personal preference most of the time, but most, especially on this board that we're looking at today, I feel like these guys are so different that it's comes down to what you really value. And I think, yeah, the safety and the feel of Maladon, I probably lean to over Ramsey has better tools and I think does have higher upside like you mentioned. So they'll be pretty close on my board. I don't think that's crazy at all. If you, if somebody had one of these guys 12 spots higher than the other one, 
I would get that too. It's kind of just what you're seeing on these players and really in general. So uh, I have no full-blown, ridiculous, dug-in hot takes on either of them. Um, before we get out of here, I want to make sure we get to the last guy, and that is Leandro Bomaro, who, again, is a very different player than a lot of these guys. Uh, I think he's a legit 6'7", maybe 6'6". Six, six. Um, Bomaro is someone who's played the wing at times, like and has you know real wing size in a way that a lot of these guys do not. But in the same breath, Bomaro, at least in theory, could be like a point guard type. That's the honestly, if you're trying to sell someone on Bomaro, you're selling them, at least in my opinion, on a six seven point guard who has that kind of ball handling and feel as a passer. Um, that's the way to sell me or anybody else, in my opinion, on Bomaro, and uh, and not as a wing. Because if, he's, if you're selling him to me as a wing, I don't buy the shooting very much. And I don't think that he um, makes a ton of sense as like an off-ball player. So he's kind of a, weirdly kind of a boomer bust for me. Not 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 hugely, but if you think he's going to be able to handle like a primary creation role, not primary score, but more of that like, you know, functional ball handler type, you probably like him a lot more than I do. I think in a vacuum he actually probably goes behind the other two guys we've been talking about, but his upside may be the highest of all of them because at least there's a way in my mind that I see him actually being like a lead ball handler in the NBA. It's not a super likely outcome, but because of his size, his passing and his overall ball handling and tools, if he figures out how to shoot, then he could be uh, pretty scary. Yeah, I, I definitely see Balmaro as a point guard. I think, if you put him on the wing and expect him to, like, I just don't see you're ever you're never gonna get the scoring value out of him. So we've well, like, seen that before. Like he, he's he's been asked to play the wing at times when he moves up and plays in certain situations with older guys, and he doesn't kill you, but he's just not a difference maker in that role. Like if you, no, he, this is not a guy that you want to have as a floor spacer, you know, three and D type. That's not going to be what his game is. No, I think you know, and the most concerning thing I've seen with Bomaro is like. There's there's some tape you could find on him where he'll be driving to the rim and have an open lane and he'll like make an awkward pass to the three point line. Like he's super non aggressive in terms of like he's a great passer and he'll thread the needle and he's a really aggressive passer. He's just not a confident driver at all. He's always looking to pass out of his drives and um, that's just you know in the leagues he's been playing and now like not even the top division of European leagues. So when he gets to the NBA, um, it's going to take a while. He's going to have to, you know, take the layups when they're there. And and he, I think uh, a decent comparison might be like Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball still struggles getting to the rim, and he definitely struggles getting fouled, um, getting free throws. So well, I don't think Palmaro is that fast. I think he's, you know, he's not as quick. Um that that kind of archetype. He's you know he's going to be a point guard that might struggle to score, but he's a really really good passer. Yeah, like substantially worse Lonzo Ball is not a bad one. Right. Um, yeah. No, he's if not he figures out how to shoot, then I like him. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's weird. You know, I've seen people that I think are smart and that I trust have Bomaro as a lottery pick, and I just I do not see that. I understand the justification for it is that. Like I said before, if everything came together and he learned how to shoot on the move, there is lead guard equity there, and that's kind of what I think the justification is for Bomaro that high. But for me, as someone who values floor a little bit more, um, I don't have Bomaro up there. I, I, I'm not as I'm not as low as some. I know um, good friend of the pod, Sam Bassini, who was on last week, I think it was, has him like in the 40s. I can see that too because if you don't think he has cre- that creation upside, the rest of the tools are kind of that um i'm a little bit higher than that i think bomaro probably goes in the first round based on what i've seen and heard at this point in time especially if you get him in a situation where like you know boston's been a popular one because boston's got three picks um if you're just trying to take some swings that might be a good idea but he's a guy that that pick may not go well i mean it might go well too like there is stuff to like but if you take the most negative approach and say he's not going to be good enough to be a primary on the ball guy and he's not going to shoot enough to be an off the ball guy. What do you have? 
I do like his feel. I like his passing. I think he'll be a pretty decent defender in time. There's a lot to like. I just, it may not work. I think Balmaro is like, and, and like, I, I like him. I just want to say that. I think he's a talented guy. And yeah. like, you know, maybe if this is a good draft, he wouldn't even be in the draft. He would wait until next year. But I think the reason you see Balmaro get put up in the lottery and stuff, it's just an example of how crazy, like, I don't want to say this draft is bad, but there are not, like, skill guys that pop. Like, Lamelo is really good, and he's the one that kind of does. But just seeing a guy like Balmaro that's 18, 19, throwing, like, good passes around, I mean, that's, like, all it takes for people to be like, oh, yeah, he might be a lottery. Like, it's just kind of a reflection of, like, like if this was a 2018 class, there is no way anybody would say that about Balmaro. Like, no one would even talk about him. He might be like, okay, I'm just not going to go this year like i just think it's the class is not good and like he's got some like flashy tools that like yeah most six seven guys can't do a lot of stuff he can do but i just i just think it's like a lot of hype and like i think sam is i i think that's probably closer to reality the 40s i mean it's just because he's so young he hasn't even like he hasn't played in the real euro league right still um, I think he may have, but if he did, it's in a smaller role. I'm pulling up his pay. Cause that's the thing. Like I'm, whenever yeah. he's played I know in it's a, just like not a lot. Yeah. Whenever he's played in a bigger role, it's not, yeah, he's played six games in the early league and his numbers are terrible, but it's a small sample size. Like he's shooting right. 21% from the floor. Like it's not, I don't care about that. It doesn't bother me that much, but it is a good example. Like when he's playing, against yeah, it's not, it's not been good. It's not, it's not to say like that he's not a good prospect. It's just to say like, like he's, you know, just another guy to take a flyer on. He, he's not like on a pedestal. He's not a great prospect to me, at least. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with having him below. Like you were saying, like Maladon and, and Ramsey are probably better at basketball, like right now. So, yeah, I, I just don't – I'm not trying to crap on Bomaro because I, I like the archetype of what it could be. I just think that he's a good example of someone where if it did go perfectly well and suddenly you have a six seven lead guard who can shoot a little bit and have his passing and his vision, then, yeah, you love that. But a lot has to go right. And I'm always yeah, someone yeah, that's yeah. going to I'm, – I'm someone that's going to – value the floor a little higher and I'm going to have him lower as a result of that. So he's also not that young. I mean, he's not old either, but I think he'll be, yeah, he'll be 20 in September. So he's not an infant. He's not, he's not No, like, like he's, I just look at him like he's basically like going to be, you know, he's like someone that's like leaving. If you were going to equate him to an American prospect, he's the age of someone leaving their sophomore year. And he's yeah, still not, he's, he's still not ready for the Euro league. No, and you know Euroleague is good, but it's I don't know. I, I can just, sort of see I can see all like, of the. Yeah, it's not like to me that like like I said, I think he's a good prospect. Like you were saying, if if he hits on what he could be at the size of the shoot, if he shot if he shoots, he's obviously a great passer. But it's just I think when he drifts up towards near the lottery for some people, I just think it's like a little too much for me. I think, you know, it's just, even in this draft, but I think even when that does happen, it's just a product of this draft, and you watch all these guys who kind of just look like role players, and, like, they're they're better than Bomaro right now, but they're just, you know, I don't know, take, you know, one of these guys, for example, like Skylar Mays, like, obviously his resume, you know, he's, I don't want to say he's done more than Bomaro in terms of, you know, in terms of what guys traditionally do to get to the NBA, you know, he's done more than Balmaro, but I would probably rather invest in Balmaro than Scott. Sure. Mills. I mean, his upside's yeah. substantially higher. I just think, like, my best example, I was just thinking about this while you were talking, you know, if you asked me who has the better median outcome career in the NBA between Balmaro and, like, Tyshawn Alexander, I think, I'd, I, think I would take Alexander. But... Bomaro's upside is, I think, substantially higher. So it's kind of whatever you're looking at. I think if you, we both kind of said this, but just as a final point, if you're taking Bomaro in the top 17, 18, you probably really value upside. 
And that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's more of a philosophical thing. Um, cause again, I think if it, if it did come together all the way through and his shot worked out and you combine that with his size and feel, that's a really intriguing player. But in terms of his, his floor is not an NBA player in my opinion. Right. No, it's kind of like the Poku, um, the Poku thing with the, with the forwards, like Poku, you know, some people have him, you know, wherever they have him, eighth, 12th, sixth, you know, I've seen all kinds of stuff. And then you got somebody like Paul Reed, who's like, <laughs> yeah, probably going to be, you know, in the NBA for a I'll, while. I'll, I'll say this on Poku though. Poku at least, this is this is the difference that I have in my mind. Maybe you disagree with me. I think the floor. Po, well, no, Poku's Poku's upside is, I think, a lot higher. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I like Poku. No. I, I, so I'm part. just saying, like. I am, yeah. I'm someone who said on this podcast with you that I would not take Puku in the lottery, but it I can see the justification for that a lot easier than for Bomaro yeah, because Poku you could like, you could you could legitimately convince me that Poku's upside is like top two or three in the class. So if if that's your selling point, I, I totally get it. It's definitely a boom bust. You have to acknowledge it as such. But that's one where I get it a little bit more because the upside is so clearly there. With Bolmaro, yeah. we all just, we just got done talking about how the upside is obviously there, but I think it's not off the charts upside. Like, is there a path yeah. for Bolmaro to be like a starting point guard that's good? Yeah, I think that's definitely there. But I don't think he's going to be an All NBA player. I think if everything if, I think if everything went right with Poku, and by the way, that's a very low percentage. But if everything went right, he would be really awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the same with Bomaro. But yeah, the thing about Poku is like he has like a potential floor, if that makes sense, of being like a stretch five. If he if for some reason, you know, the ball handling, if he's not able to which I think you know he's gonna be fine as a ball handler, but if he's not able to initiate offense, if he's not a primary ball handler, if he's just a guy who can handle the ball. Um, he's like a really interesting interchangeable, you know, stretch four, stretch five that can also like block shots. And obviously he's going to have to put a lot of weight on. That's why I'd say it's a, a potential kind of floor with him. But just as like you were saying, like his value is so much higher than Balmero's because there's so many different number one, the ceiling is higher, but also like if, even if he doesn't reach his ceiling, he's going to be like a seven foot tall guy that can shoot and handle the ball. Like he can figure out some way to help an NBA team. I agree. So, uh, you know, that detour out of the way, I, I still think Bomaro's interesting, but not a lottery guy for me. Um, okay. To wrap this thing up, uh, give me your favorite guy we talked about on the podcast overall, and also your favorite second round value guy, um, overall, because they're obviously, if you could get you know, Maldon or Ramsey at 52, you would do it. But I'm more realistically, um, your favorite guy overall and then your favorite, you know, second round value type. My favorite guy overall, like the guy I actually value the highest. Like Who is number yeah. one on your board that, we, that we've discussed okay. so far yeah, on this yeah, podcast? Okay. Oh. I think it's Ramsey based on what you said. Yeah. I mean, I don't even love Ramsey, though. That's the thing. Like, I don't even want to make it seem like I'm like a big Ramsey guy. I mean, to, like, to I be guess. fair, we, we do have, we do have four more guys yeah. on part two that we're going to talk about that are ranked, I think yeah. higher for a reason than all of these guys. are. No. Yeah. I, I have Ramsey and Maladon so close. And like the way you sold me on Maladon shooting, like it makes me have me even closer. <laughs> so it's like, it's just the, the whole shooting floor aspect of Maladon. Like I hadn't, I was more thinking of upside when I said I liked Ramsey more, but I'll stick with Ramsey. That's fine. Yeah, I, uh, I think I, mean, I made you answer it, so I think I would probably take Maladon, but I don't love that either. Uh, I think Maladon, Ramsey, and Balmoro are like reasonably close together. I don't, I would not argue too hard against or for any of them in a vacuum. And then my next guy after that would be Alexander. I, uh, I like Alexander a lot, and again, like I think Alexander is a first round pick. Late first round, but like I'm probably gonna have Alexander somewhere in like the 27 to 32 range, something like that. Like he's he might not go that high, but I just like what he does and the fact that he doesn't take anything off the table really. 
those are the kind of guys that I always seem to gravitate to. And that, that, that shouldn't surprise anybody. I, uh, it was a very similar thing to like how I felt about Shake Milton back in the day. I've, I've really liked Alexander the entire time. So uh, he would be the guy that I would say is the second round value that I enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I've already talked about this a lot, but my second round value is definitely Rokas. Uh, yeah, man. I don't know. Like, he's just like not even top hundred, and I think he's gonna make it. And maybe, maybe he just ends up being a good Euro player, and in that case, I'll still watch him because he's really fun to watch. But uh, yeah, I, I just think he's gonna make it. I think he's big enough. He's young enough. You know, I, I think he's gonna figure out a way to just be a, like a combo scorer for somebody. And just the fact that he's not even like top hundred, it's just like, I don't know. No, I'm with you. I mean, there's always a guy or two that you would take a stand on, and that's your guy, which is totally fine. I know uh, I have a couple that I really like that are kind of off the radar. You know, Nate Hinton's a guy I like a lot. He's that's on the Wings podcast, but he's someone who's like often ranked in like the 80s that I would definitely draft. There's always a guy or two. That's that funny. Like, like someone drafted Nate Hinton. I was in this like draft Twitter draft. And someone drafted Nate Hinton 24th with Miami's pick, and they gave the reason because of Miami. I mean, that's even higher than I would take Nate Hinton, but I like Nate Hinton quite a bit, so I wouldn't criticize him. Yeah. I'm a fan. Uh, it used to be that Desmond Bain was that guy for everyone. Now people have, started, people have actually figured it out, I think, at this point, that Desmond, went, that Desmond Bain is uh, good. So we'll we'll talk about the, yeah, both those guys. That was on the like podcast. that was like your first report, right? You got that out of the way. Yeah, I wrote Desmond down. Bain. Yeah. Uh, we do this draft profile series at Peachtree Hoops, which we've uh, I plug sometimes. And in fact, if you want to read a really long uh, profile of Leandro Bomaro, we have one from Graham Chapel, which was very very good. If you want to read more about him, uh, more than Zach and I have just talked about. But yeah, the first guy that I. Uh, I am, of course, the editor, but I made the choice to do Desmond Bain first because I wanted to just have my opinion out there about Desmond Bain that he was like a late first-round pick, and uh, I stand by that. He's good at basketball. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I have guys in this class that I think are much better than they're projected. Uh, we've mentioned a couple of them now. Aaron Henry is another one, et cetera, et cetera. So we all have our guys, your guys, Rokas, and that's uh, it's fun. It's fun to have guys like that. Yeah, I just can't wait to see, like, what he does because if, like, I don't know, like, if that restart, if that bubble doesn't go well, he might just decide, like, you know what, I'm going to stay in Lithuania, and he might not even be in the draft. So I just, I do want to add that just so people, like, if you don't hear anything about him, like, just kind of be on Google, whatever, if you want. Yeah, he might pull out. I mean, that's, there's a reason the guy, I mean, often, especially international prospects, there'll be a wave of those guys that pull out when they realize that they're not going to either, either not going to get drafted or not going to get drafted where they want to get drafted. They'll just pull out and he could be another one of those, but there you go. Um, The world's leading Rokas Jakobitis fan association right here on the Lockdown Hawks podcast. Zach, Please plug yourself, my friend, um, in a second, uh, because uh, you know I want to get out that you uh, you're you're everywhere on the internet, including a a nice collection of Trey Young highlights that you tweeted out today. But please plug yourself, and uh, we'll get out of here. Yeah, you can grab uh, follow me on Twitter at zhood underscore, and uh, you know everything I write, I'll end up tweeting or retweeting over there. Falcons, uh, Hawks, just a bunch of uh, fun stuff going on right now. Waiting for. Baseball to come back, so back and tell us about the Braves. But uh, I don't know, man. I still don't know if any any of this stuff's really going to happen. But we'll see. We will see indeed. Uh, all right. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend or two or three about the show. Uh, we'll, we'll be back again later in the week. I don't know with who or about what, but I will be here, I promise. So stay tuned for all of that. <laughs>